before we begin today's show, you know how wild the NBA offseason is? You know, when me, Zach, and Woj are working around the clock looking for more information on the latest trades and free agency deals? Well, this NFL offseason might be the most interesting one we've ever had, except for they take weeks to make these trades. In the NBA, everything gets done in like four days. It doesn't take weeks, but I digress. If you want all the latest on what's going on in the NFL, then I highly suggest you check out the Adam Schefter podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Or if you're looking for world-class soccer, ESPN Plus is where to find it. The best teams, the biggest stars, and over 20 international leagues and tournaments. Serie A, Bundesliga, MLS, the FA Cup, Copa del Rey, and more. Sign up now at ESPNplus.com. Welcome to the Hoop Collective podcast. We talk about the NBA, which we are doing on Wednesday afternoon. Joining us from Dallas, Texas, and in and, and Van McMahon, we are happy you are able to join us. We weren't sure you're going to be able to, but um, your your electricity is back and uh, you're functioning. And I hope the, the the inside temperature in your home is going back up. Man, we are just comfortable, cozy. Hopefully, it stays this way. Uh, hopefully the the worst has come and gone, but yeah, we're we're back in business. Well, I don't like to talk about the weather because I think it's one of the things people, you know, everybody talks about the weather. But uh, it was negative twenty three where I live yesterday, and I checked the weather in Siberia just just to see. And <laughs> Siberia was like in the twenties above, like forty <laughs> degrees warmer in Siberia. Well, you are in the Siberia of the United States. Apparently, <laughs> I I have no comeback for that. Um, we were we were we were under zero for seventy two consecutive hours. Joining us from Boston, Massachusetts, is Tim Bontemps. No more weather talk, Tim. Sorry. Some somehow somehow the weather is better here than it is in both Texas and in Nebraska. Know, so that's amazing. all I'll it's say. Better, it's better in Alaska. Trust me, I was, I was expecting. <laughs> um, so I'll tell you where it's nice and warm is uh, Salt Lake City, because the Utah Jazz, um, who I think if I'm not mistaken, may have been moved to number one in the power rankings. They did. They got bumped up. Still number two on my ballot, but they got bumped up, and I can't argue oh, against it. Unbelievable. unbelievable. Number two behind who? Number two on who? What? Huh? Number two behind, <laughs> behind oh, who? I thought, I, I thought he was so waiting The cold has frozen McMahon's brain, clearly. <laughs> I thought he was waiting to say behind uh, who? I'm, listen, I still have the Lakers as number one. And, you know, certainly we can argue and debate that. Uh, my thing is they are the defending champions. Obviously, the, the record is going to take a little dip here um, and has with, with AD. Of, the Jazz have won 19 of 20 games. Okay, and we will we will get into why I am expressing a little bit of caution in terms of overreacting to what has been an absolutely spectacular run by the Jazz. I want to go further here, but I don't want to go backwards. I want to talk about what's going on with them. Uh, by the way, um, <laughs> uh, Bontemps had his calculator out this morning, McMahon, and uh, the NBA didn't announce it, um, but... Uh, Bontemps, you had a story about the Jazz this morning. Um, what was the story? And and sort of, you know, this is sort of unusual how this went down. Just please uh, with that. Yeah. To to so the the lead of the story is that Quinn Snyder, the coach of the Jazz, who have won 19 out of 20 games uh, and should be number one in everybody's power rankings, uh, are uh, going to <laughs> are going to have Quinn Snyder coach in the All Star game uh, the in next month in Atlanta. And yes, Brian, to your point. Typically, when a coach 
the, the team with the best record for a coach that qualifies because you can't coach the game two years in a row. Whenever that team uh, qualify, you know, guarantees having the best record at the end of the week, two weeks before the All-Star game, usually the team announces it immediately and the league yeah, announces the, the it. League there's puts a big, it out like minutes after the buzzer. Right, like at the buzzer. The, the release <laughs> right. comes out, hey, we're announcing that uh, uh, we're announcing that, you know, Quinn Snyder's coaching the All-Star game. And in reality, the Jazz actually clinched the best record in the league through Sunday's game on Monday or in the West on Monday when they beat the Sixers. However, because the NBA has not officially said there's going to be an All-Star game yet, uh, even though there's going to be an All-Star game, they have not announced it and the Jazz have not announced it. So today I was looking at the schedule and seeing uh, – when that would be decided. And I looked at it and said, well, wait a second, I guess Quinn Snyder uh, has already clinched the best record or the Jazz have already clinched the best record in the West. And uh, after checking on that, that was confirmed to be true. So do you think I wrote about that 100% for certain that there's going to be an all-star game because you say that, but there hasn't been an official announcement yet and they didn't do this. So and I there's would say a there, lot of pushback too. I would say there's a, uh, extraordinarily high likelihood that there is going to be an all-star game. I, I think there there is still at least some uh, wiggle room available, I suppose, with the way this has gone in that the league uh, can still say that there are all-star teams for contractual reasons and you know historical reasons. And then if There's they end up not playing teams, no matter what, <laughs> right. So <laughs> then they could, they could then potentially ultimately say, we're not going to have the game. However, I think at this point it, it would be exceedingly, um, unlikely for there not to be uh, an all-star game. And assuming there is an all-star game, one other thing that I found out today that I thought was interesting is that uh, there's been some, uh, at least certainly on my end, confusion about whether there would be captains picking teams again, which apparently will be happening. So uh, it won't be East versus West, which I, I thought, and I think other people thought was how it was going to go. It is going to be the captain situation again. And there's a decent chance that the Elam ending, which was very popular last year, will also be back. So, um, again, assuming that the NBA does ever announce that there is going to be an all-star game, which is currently allegedly scheduled to be about two and a half weeks from now. Uh, you know, I'm not going to take like, I don't, I want to talk about the jazz, so I'm not really going to, everybody sort of stated their position on it. My position, I said on here, it's a money grab. Everybody knows it's a money right. grab. The union agreed to the money grab. So the players can complain about it, but their union agreed to it. Okay. So I know that. You know, just because the union agreed to it doesn't mean everybody agrees. Certainly people, I'm in groups that are represented by, <laughs> or representative, I don't agree with what they do. But I do think it's remarkable. This kind of goes against the league's long, you know, the league doesn't do things that are, in the Adam Silver era, the league typically doesn't do things that are, uh, that players really don't like. So this is, um, if I could take a step back from the actual, social slash political issue of having the all-star game. I think it's an interesting shift where it seems like the league is saying, look, we're going to do this, whether you like it or not. Do you disagree with me, Bontemps? Or because I know you and I've talked about this before. No, I, I mean, look, I, I think that, I think that it is interesting that the, the way this is kind of played out. Um, but to your point, you know, both sides have agreed to it. And, you know, even this week or this week, both sides have agreed on, the health and safety protocols that are govern, going to govern people who are going to Atlanta and people that are not right for right. both players and staff. So mm -hmm. like everybody's kind of in this together and for all the, for all the various grumblings about different things that have gone on. And I'm not even saying they're 
incorrect rumblings at the end of the day, you know, this is a decision that everybody's kind of going into eyes wide open, just like it was, you know, going into a season, not being played in a bubble in the first place and last season playing, finishing the season in the bubble, right? Like all these things were ultimately true, done. But at the end of the day, I think the players supported the, the, the players realized the bubble was necessary. And so they did it. I don't know if that's, that's not the way it's. Well, the the, you know, the other thing, not just playing the season, not in the bubble, but starting the season before Christmas. So we could get the money grab Christmas showcase. Right. right? That's not exactly right. something that the players were giddy about, right. but it was a huge financial, uh, you know, impact type of situation and look our company is part of the people that benefited i'm not taking we got our money grab on christmas tnt's getting their money grab for the (laughs) all-star game if you just want to be honest that's the way it is and but the nba it's a money both of those are money grabs for the nba i mean it's it's just business of basketball uh let's talk about the utah jazz uh now uh when you guys hear this pod they will have already played their first game against the clippers um they play they play the clippers tonight and tomorrow am i right I believe it's tonight uh, and Wednesday, or not? So it's tonight and it's tonight and Friday night because tomorrow night the Lakers host the the Nets. Right at the Staples Center. Right, it would be a great time to be at the Staples Center. <laughs> right, back in the old days, right? It'd be a nice little three day trip in uh, in February. Ooh, I'd love it. Um, and I think what's the Clippers? Uh, the Clippers are we're missing four starters in their last game. I haven't seen the. Uh, Paul George is out, and Kawhi Leonard is questionable. Okay, Conley also is questionable. Uh, now people will know whether these guys play or not, but on the podcast guys, right. so we're probably wasting our time. All right. Also anyway, um, I'm not sure whether we'll know more about the Jazz after this two games with the Clippers or not, depending on who plays for the Clippers. Although the Clippers uh, just uh, just won the other night, missing four starters, so I wouldn't take it for granted. Um, the Jazz come into this game tonight ranked fourth in the league in. Uh, offense and second in the league in defense in this, in this, in this era where nobody's really defending and everybody's just fine with shooting. Um, the jazz are, are the team, the, the quintessential great team that's in the top five in both. Uh, and there's a whole bunch of teams that have reached the finals um, in the last 50 years who have been in top five in, in both those categories. So they're trending in that direction. Um, <clears throat> they have, they By the are way, absolute- there were two teams that were top five in those categories last season. Do you know who they were? Mm, Lakers. Nope. Close. Clippers. Yep. And the and, and the Lakers' longtime biggest rivals, the Celtics. The, I was going to say the Boston the Bucks, Celtics were. I, was I watched. To see I watched the, the finals, but I didn't see either of those teams. Um. <laughs> okay. Fair point. The Bucks. By the way, the uh, the Jazz um, are fourth in the league in effective field goal percentage because they are just snipers from three-point range um they they move the ball beautifully um they they work together great on defense they funnel defensively they funnel people into uh gobert and uh he just protects the rim um i don't know how many blocks he averages i don't have it in front of me but if you watch the jazz play you will see that it doesn't really matter how many blocks he actually gets the way he defends the front rim area and the way the players react when they know Gobert is out there. I mean, you are reminded why the guy's been defensive player of the year. He, he truly impacts the game. There was a play when Grant Williams of the Celtics drove in against them last week and Rudy just stood there and Grant was so shook by the idea that Rudy might try to block his shot that he shot, put it a six foot shot uh, about three feet and it, it almost landed on Rudy's head. 
Well, there was also there was another one where Jalen Brown, who actually was having a big game and obviously is a tremendous athlete, he got in there, saw Rudy, and turned right back around. Yes, yes. You know, and then you see that on, on a regular basis. And look, if we're talking about Jazz defense, we do need to give a shout out uh, to Royce O'Neal, who's the least known of their starters, but yeah, that's their that's their wing defender. That's the guy who's getting Tatum. He's getting Giannis the next night. He's he's getting Jimmy Butler. Uh, you know, uh, the night after that. And, you know, he, he's putting together an all-defensive type of season. Uh, he was – was he a second-round pick, or did they find him? Oh, he, was, he, was un, he was undrafted. Right. He yeah. was an undrafted guy they've developed over time. He was in the right. G League. Undrafted. They signed him and then signed him to a big extension last uh, – Last well, year, it wasn't that big of an extension. Four years. Well, signed, it was the it was the maximum extension they could right. sign him to under the rules. Right. right now, he was he was playing over in Europe and uh, and and they signed him and they've developed him and and he's he's a great. I mean, he's the he's the epitome of a three and D role player. The other thing that they've got, okay, we know that. So they have um, they really have three guys who could be all stars. I don't. I mean, Conley. Uh, I don't know if you say, you know, he's missed some time here. I don't know if you'd say he should be an all-star. I mean, he's Conley arguably been better than Donovan Mitchell this year. I mean, he's been he's been awesome. Now, the injury, obviously, is a bit of a hit, and Donovan's numbers pop a little more, but I, I, he certainly has a very worthy um, yeah. all-star case if you want to try to include him well, in your 12. I, I, would, I think Gobert and Mitchell will make the all-star team. Mm-hmm. That's my uh, belief, too. Um, I don't think they'll get a third, but – they Conley could. has a, he has a sentimental case as you know kind of the unofficial best player, not to make an all star best veteran, not to make an all star game, and then he has an impact case as the guy who uh, obviously is playing for the team with the best record, and I'm double checking this, but yes, still has the best plus minus in the league, even having missed these last five games. He's at plus two sixty five. Number two on the list is his teammate Rudy Gobert at plus two fifty four. And then you have like, this guy's not going to make the All Star team, but then you have Jordan Clarkson, who um, is averaging eighteen points a game off the bench. Uh, Clear cut six man of the year front runner. Absolutely, and a very a very interesting case of a guy. He's, he's an interesting career. So. You know, he's, I don't know if you call him a journeyman. He was on three teams in three years um, or three teams in two years. Really what I would say is he's a guy that when the Utah Jazz traded for him, it was not seen as uh, a, a amazing move. Like it was seen as right. a nice piece, but he he certainly had never done anything like he, what he's done in Utah in his career before then. Yeah, and he was kind of viewed as sort of an unapologetic gunner Yep. and um, didn't defend and, you know, uh, poor man's Lou Williams, I think people would say, and he got a good contract in LA because he, you know, he showed some promise early in his career. But he was kind of viewed as overpaid, like, like uh, not when kind they, of. Yeah, I would say not kind of. When the Lakers traded him to the Cavs, um, it was a quasi salary dump. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the Cavs got him and Larry Nance in that deal, um, and it was it helped them clear clear the space to sign Braun, which was interesting. Um, but you know he was kind of salary dumped, and uh, and it's interesting just the way he's pivoted. Now, his one year that he played in the playoffs with Cleveland, he was awful. He was almost unplayable. Uh, he just you know I think it was his first time in the playoffs, and he looked like a scared uh, you know kid and just couldn't contribute. And so he comes into the to the playoffs last year for the Jazz, and I was kind of like low expectations, but he was good. Yeah. He was good in the bubble. 
and then he gets a what was it four and fifty two million right. and, yeah yeah and a lot right. of people thought that was a case of the jazz overpaying to keep you know to to keep talent right because if he had walked they like would have had a hard time replacing him yeah and look their bench went from god awful to pretty good when they made that change. That's right. He was year. really, he was, I, I left that. He was an impactful player immediately when he got yeah. there, but it was unclear about whether he was a guy you wanted to pay. But he's having the best year of his career. I mean, he's, he's, he's averaging, like you said, 18.2. That's a career high. His, uh, you know, any kind of uh, field goal efficiency numbers you want to look at, uh, you know, his, his uh, true shooting percentage, 598. That's by far a career high. You know, I was talking to somebody, with the Jazz uh, earlier this this week, and he, the way he basically put it was, he felt like Quinn Snyder had both unre- unleashed and refined uh, Clarkson's game. His shot selection is, you know, it, it's not quite James Harden level analytics friendly, but it's pretty close. If you look at long twos, you know, kind of fifteen plus foot two pointers, he's taken two all season long. Mm. And both of those were uh, foot on the line meant to be threes. The guy is lighting up. He's more than half his attempts are from three point range. And he's, you know, a guy who, who like all the jazz shooters, uh, he can both knock down pull-ups and he's getting a lot of good looks off. What's just beautiful ball movement. And then, you know, he's, he's more athletic than I think a lot of people think in, in terms of being able to finish around the bucket. And he's got a nice little floater game. I mean, he is to me. There's not. You, we can talk about Montrez Harrell if we want to talk about six men of your candidates, but Clarkson to me is far and away the leader there. So the interesting thing about the Jazz is they're, with the exception of Derek Favors, who's kind of like a bring him back. I mean, he, he was out for a year. Yeah. But like they essentially have the same team they did a year ago. Is that fair to say? It is, but that's a big exception because okay, here's here's the deal. They had to address their shooting after the way they went out in the playoffs in the first round in Houston a couple of years ago. It was just they were getting great looks, and it was a brick city. It was, I mean, they had to replace the rims after every quarter of the way they were denting those things. And so they went out and they made the deal for Conley. Obviously, they they got, uh, signed Bogdanovich to sign Bogdanovich. They had to let favors go. Then the Jazz's biggest problem last year, they had two big problems. Number one. Conley really struggled adapting to uh, life with the Jazz after playing his whole career with the Grizzlies. Number two, their non-Gobert minutes were a complete disaster. So Conley, obviously, is much more comfortable. And you started to see this late last season when he came back from his hamstring. Um, And then, you know, Favors, he's purely a backup center at this point. But he is a high-quality backup center. So with Conley getting comfortable bringing back Favors – they they were able to fix their two biggest flaws. Still, Bontemps, it's it's the same team, and they're just vastly better. Like to just, and I guess you know, there's something to be said for consistency and continuity in a season where teams can't practice and all that stuff. But they're just way better. Yeah, I mean, it, I think it's really kind of a perfect storm of a lot of different things, right? It's to your point in a season where everything is chaotic and all over the place. Uh, the jazz have been largely healthy outside of Mike Conley's hamstring issues. They haven't really had uh, COVID absences. And um, to your point, Derek favors is the only new face there. And he was not there. He was only not there last year. And he'd been there basically his whole career before that. So certainly has some familiarity there. 
the Derek Favors move, while at the time people questioned it a bit because uh, the Jazz had Rudy Gobert at center, it now allows them to go from having Tony Bradley, who was an absolute disaster as their backup center last year, and a big and, Ed, and Ed Davis, who and Ed Davis, who was terrible yeah. before that, and was mainly the reason why they lost that series to uh, the Nuggets, and that they got obliterated whenever Rudy Gobert was not on the court. Right um, now, they have a starter playing at center for 48 minutes a game. Uh, Which they got because they spent some money. It wasn't right. Now they, I mean, they have a new owner, and they spent money. Yep, they went out and spent money. They they re-signed Clarkson to a a hefty contract. They signed Derek Favors, and they extended Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert, and that eliminated any questions about the future of this team. Right? Everybody got paid. Everybody was comfortable. Everybody came in. And if you look, the other thing too is that when you say it's the same team, it is the same team in names on on the sheet. But it's not the same team, as Tim pointed out, in in the way these guys are playing. Like Mike Conley, towards the end of the regular season uh, last year, started to look a little bit more like the guy from Memphis, and he was way better in the bubble. But now they got the guy playing for them in Mike Conley that they thought they got a year ago right. from Memphis, and who at the beginning of last season was an absolute disaster and was totally lost and was trying to get used to playing with Rudy Gobert, who's a totally different center than uh, yep. Marcus Saul, and they had to get that whole thing figured out. And trying and, to get used to playing with Donovan Mitchell after. I mean, think about the right. the, the majority of of uh, Conley's career in Memphis. He's got Tony Allen at shooting guard and Marcus Saul at center. Could you find more different players stylistically <laughs> than Donovan That's Mitchell right. and Rudy Gobert? <laughs> it was the first time in his career that he was not. He was going to be off the ball a lot, and it's, yep. the, it's the first time in his career that the vast majority of his minutes. We're going to be with a lob threat instead of a, a pick and pop guy who he, you know, I mean, like he did that dance with with uh, Gasol pretty much his entire career. Yep. Um, and so he got and, you know, complicated playbook, all that. Not that, you know, calmly struggles intellectually with anything, but it, it, he is comfortable now and knows exactly kind of how he fits. And he's last year he played timidly a lot, hesitant, not quite sure. This year, he understands he's he he is aggressive in this role, right? And yep. the Gobert chemistry went from weird to now they're pretty much in and out of games together all the time. They're they're tied together in the substitution pattern, just like Donovan Mitchell's tied to uh to Royce O'Neal. And so yeah, that that's been an absolute massive difference. And then, you know, you mentioned it's not just that guys got paid. They're, everybody is secure. Conley is the only guy who's not locked up long term among their top eight players that are all, you know, eight starter caliber players. Getting Rudy's extension done before the season, I think, was huge. And look, it's no secret, and it, it exploded. We all saw, you know, saw it blow up that there was tension between Rudy and, and Donovan all last season. That stuff has been dealt with. They're not only on the same page, but they are really enjoying. Uh, playing for each other, and you know, you you heard Giannis when um, when Milwaukee came through and got their butts kicked this week. The Jazz are just a really fun team. You can see it watching them. Obviously, yeah. guys feel it playing against them, and certainly, you know, the guys who are who are in Jazz uniforms are just really enjoying what is a very unselfish kind of all for one vibe right now. All right, well, and, and you, you, well, and just one other one other important thing I think we need to mention, Tim. The Tim story. If anybody who's listening who hasn't read it, go back and read Tim's story on Rudy and Donovan last summer, which was a terrific story on that whole situation, and and obviously I one that too is pinned on your Twitter, isn't it, McMahon? 
Uh, no, I think I put the hardened, the hardened no, circus right. fire. Wow. Yeah, so right. either either way, go go find, go, yeah, go find that story by McMahon because it, it really breaks down exactly what's going on. And to his point, it that obviously is totally different. The one other thing that needs to be mentioned is Joe Ingles has been awesome this year for the Jazz, mm-hmm. and him getting back to the player he was before last year when he had some injury issues, and he was another guy that had to kind of get used to playing without Derek Favors. He'd always played yes. well with him. Um, getting favors back and getting Joe Ingles back to like, that's a big underrated part of why this jazz team is playing so well, because even with Mike Conley out, now you have another basically point guard on the court with Joe Ingles. And that's, that's a big reason why they've been able to hum right along, despite not having Conley here these past several games. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists, have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call or click ranger.com or just stop by. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavily on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom, Onyeho Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liquor, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. One thing I want to point out, over the last 15 to 18 years, give or take, there's been a lot of Spurs satellites tried out there. Yeah. Organizations have hired Spurs executives and, and or, or hired Spurs coaches. I mean, you can go down the list, you know, of all the Spurs coaches that have gone out there, from Mike Brown to, to Brett Brown to James Borrego to the executives that they've sent out, Presti, Danny Ferry, um, I don't know. You guys, they've just sent out a whole bunch of people. There's only been one Sean team that, that is, in my view, gotten close to Spurs 2.0, and that was the Atlanta Hawks mm-hmm. in the, the mid-2000-teens um, with Danny Ferry's former Spurs executive and Mike Budenholzer, former Spurs coach. They played a very... Very democratic style of offense, ball move, 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 move. Uh, lots of three-point shooting. Corver's out there bombing away. Jeff Teague's out there bombing away. Uh, Al Horford was playing great. Um, unfortunately for them, they played in the same conference as LeBron James when he had uh, Kyrie, and they just ran into that wall. Um, this, what the Jazz have going now, and it wasn't like Quinn Snyder and Dennis Lindsay, essentially the team president, and, and, and you know, Quinn was was with the Spurs, was coaching the Austin Toros back when they were the Toros. Um, He comes, you know, obviously he was a coach at Missouri and he coached in Russia and everything, but he comes from the Spurs organization. Dennis Lindsay was with the Spurs, also with the Rockets, but was with the Spurs. This is a Spurs satellite. It's It's a more mature Spurs satellite, but they are getting the closest to the Spurs ethos of let's share the ball. And um, I know Gobert isn't Duncan, but some of the things that they want him to do are Duncan-esque, especially defensively and the way they play. It's kind of spursy. Well, Brad Stevens said as much when the Celtics came through there. He said it's the closest thing he'd seen in terms of ball movement to the Spurs' last championship team. I mean, you know, there are possessions where there are seven or eight passes that lead to either a wide-open three or a dunk. 
And typically on those possessions, there's more passes than there are dribbles. So McMahon, why are the why are the, why what is your trepidation on saying this team is legit can can take the whole thing? Because I have seen these Jazz put together spectacular runs during the regular season, every season. Okay, January to March 2018, they went 21 and two. Okay, March to April 2019, 12 and one. January of that year, 11 and two. Last year, December to January, 19 and two. So, you know, this is this is the best um, of those runs to this point. But again, these are, I mean, we're talking 19 of 21 wins, you know, 21 to 23. They've gone on these kind of long tears, but what they have not done is gone on a, a long, deep playoff run. You know, they've only gotten to the second round once. So I have no doubt that the Jazz are a really, really, really good team. I'm just not ready to say that they are a better team than the defending champion who's got a guy who's got a whole ton of finals MVP awards, has been to 10 finals. Who are the number one defensive team in the league right now. Yeah, and look, I look if, if, if Anthony Davis is not healthy and the Jazz and Lakers meet in the in, in the And they uh, playoffs, do play next week where Anthony Davis will not play. Right, so that's, a, that's different. I'm looking at Jazz versus Lakers if Anthony Davis – is healthy. And I just, I cannot pick the jazz to win that series. Um, and you know, I've, I've talked to a lot of people, um, about the jazz, you know, a lot of executives, scouts, those type of folks. And I'm hearing a ton of respect for the jazz, but I'm not, I'm not talking to anybody who says, you know what? I think they're better than the Lakers. Healthy. A mistake, I mean, look, I think Tim's points about the jazz in general, I think are fair. I just would say that he's kind of missing the point of what a power ranking is. If you're looking at only <laughs> what the it, only what's going to happen in July, when the whole point of a power ranking in theory, it, whether you agree with that there should be a power ranking is a different discussion, but the whole point of a power ranking is to take a snapshot of where the league is today and then assess where things are at. And I think it's hard to say today that there's a better team in the league than the jazz. Now, that doesn't mean they're going to be the champion in July. And I think everything that Tim said about, their ceiling is fair. And he's obviously covered them as much as anybody the past few years. The only the only pushback I would have in terms of their ultimate ceiling is, and I think Tim would agree with this and when I after I say it, is that this team's talent level, I think, is very significantly higher than those jazz teams were. Um, you know, those jazz teams that went on those runs. And that and those Atlanta teams, by the way. Well, and those Atlanta and Atlanta team too. Like I, I I've spent a lot of time, you know, we've we've all three of us have talked about this off the pod. I've spent a lot of time over the past several days thinking about kind of where this team sits in that kind of group of teams where you've had um you don't have necessarily a top ten player in the league, but you've got a ton of talent on the roster. And, you know, I think that the the, the teams that they remind me of the most are that last Spurs team that won the title, the 2013-14 team, um, which maybe they don't have as many Hall of Famers as that team. But Well, Duncan wasn't at the top of his game. Right. You had, but they had three guys who had a ton of championship experience. Plus, that's a pretty Kawhi. major difference. That's, that's, no, totally. 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 And Kawhi was on the way off. That, that was a team where you kind of had guys before they were at their peak and after they are at their peak. But, no, that that's totally true. And the, the other team they remind me of, to go back a bit, and a team that Brian saw a lot, is the mid-2000s Pistons. Ah, oh, you that, stole it from me. They, this, is why, this is why I should never talk to you on the phone. Well, I, I had gotten that. I'd gotten stats on that from people at uh, our our SIG group before that. But uh, but no, they that that team that team certainly uh, you know that team you could say at the time didn't have a top ten player, 
but they might have had four to five top 50 to 60 players. And that that is, you know, a similar formula. Defense first team. This team, I think, is better on offense than that group was. But, you know, I think this Jazz team has a higher ceiling than those Atlanta teams. And I think it's got a significantly higher ceiling than those teams of the past couple of years who, to Tim's point, would often feast on some weaker parts of their schedule. But you get into the playoffs and, you know, he and I have been at games and they played against Utah in, or against Houston in the playoffs in Utah. And it, they just didn't have the firepower to go up with a team like that and win. Whereas now I think they definitely do because to your point earlier, Brian, they've gotten all these offense first guys to make up for that lack of defense or to make up for that lack of offense or before while still having the most dominant defensive player in the league to make up for all of the deficiencies of those players on the perimeter. And that's why they're absolutely destroying people right now. Those Pistons teams were great defensively. They were not fun to watch offensively. <laughs> the Jazz are fun no. to watch offensively. No. Um, all right. Uh, we'll leave it for there for now. Um, we got trivia. Uh, our trivia segment here is brought to you by CarMax. Don't just buy a car. Love your car with the new CarMax. Love your car guarantee. All right. The subject here is uh, Zion Williamson. Zion had a uh, went 13 of 16 um, in a win over Memphis. <laughs> the Pelicans own the Grizzlies. Just he, Zion's pounded uh, Ja since they came in the league, even though I think Ja and the Grizzlies are farther ahead than the Pelicans, um, just in long-term team building. That's my opinion. You can disagree. Um, he is shooting crazy percentages. Just in the last couple of weeks, he had a, he had a 14 for 15 game. Saw that 12, one with my very own eyes. He had a 12 for 14 game. Um, so ESPN stats and info came up with this. Um, he has four games uh, this season with 30 points and more than 75% shooting four. Okay. Nobody else in the league has more than one. There's a bunch of guys who have more than one or have one. one. You mean, yeah. One. There's like, I think there's like 10 that have well, maybe eight who have one. Um, and one of them is a rookie. Can you name the rookie who has a who has scored thirty points on seventy five percent shooting this year? The rookie is it Sadiq Bay? Damn it, McMahon! I'm good. McMahon wow, didn't, you didn't, let, even... did, McMahon didn't let me guess it because I watched wow. the game in person the other day. <laughs> uh, I figured you might remember it. He went. He almost shot hundred percent for the game. Um, McMahon, congratulations! And next, next thing you know, Blake Griffin is uh, is put in a freezer. <laughs> oh man! Yeah, By the way, Sadiq Bay—that's one you hear on like on Nerdy Mavs Twitter a lot. You hear a lot of Sadiq Bay because they went one pick after the Mavs drafted Josh Green. So uh, haven't seen a whole lot of Mister Green uh, for a team that could use some three indeedness right well, now. You went a, a few picks I, after Aaron Neesmith, who hasn't done very much for the Celtics either. Well, they, and Sadiq Bay would traded, certainly help them. They traded. Um, Luke Kennard and four second round picks to get him. Well, so, he better be good. <laughs> um, but anyway, very good, McMahon. Bravo. Um, the thing about and, and, and unlike Bond Tim's, I didn't get that from you on a on a phone call before the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> the thing about Zion is he's putting up all these incredible shooting performances. Um, you know, he's 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 really. I know this is crazy. He's really Shaq esque scoring in the paint. I mean, but he brings the ball up the floor sometimes. Well, that's what Stan Van Gundy wants him to do. He yeah, wants I know that's to... what I'm saying. This is a guy who's who's Shaq esque, but has a little uh, I don't know what you want to call it, Mark Jackson. I'm trying to think of a point guard with a uh, large caboose. <laughs> but he just gets 
eaten alive on defense. Oh, and it's boy. one of the reasons why they're, you know, like they're, he puts up these great numbers, but on balance, he gets eaten alive on the other end. Now you got to figure he's going to get better defensively, but that's. Well, it's like the, the Mavericks point. game. He was 14 to 15 for 30 some odd points and was a double figure negative plus minus. And there was the same thing in the next game when he was 13 to 16 was a double figure negative plus minus. Yeah, I mean, I we talked I talked about that on our, on the Hoop Collective last podcast where they shot fifty four percent and lost by thirteen, which is unheard of. Um, <laughs> Carlisle called that a pillow fight on defense, but he, <laughs> he and but he it was, was right. Inter- he said it was entertaining for the ESPN audience, and we definitely appreciate that. And he was right about that too. Yeah, um, you know, uh, when I was doing a, um, I did a story on Zion about a month ago where I brought up some of his deficiencies. Well, he he's just incredible in the paint and. Uh, Bontemps actually found this um, this YouTube clip, uh, this YouTube package of clips for me because uh, he knew I was working on it, and he sent it to me. And it was all these defensive plays that, that, that Zion made at Duke. And, of course, I watched them. I remember when he was at Duke. It wasn't like it was in 1986. Um, but if you're, a, if you're a Pelicans fan, go find us on YouTube, and you will see the way this guy used to make defensive plays at Duke. And obviously, it's not all about block shots and steals you got to be solid defensively and rotate and stuff like that. But, but he was just so much more dynamic as a defensive playmaker at Duke. And I don't know, maybe his knee injury, knee injuries have slowed him down. Maybe, you know, he's gained some weight since Duke, but um, if that guy can come back, if he could re get engaged to that defensive playmaker, he was at Duke, he will be an MVP candidate starting next season. I don't know if that's going to happen. Well, that one, that's the thing. The thing that made Zion a generational prospect was not the fact that he could go 90% from the field offensively. It was that he was a a dynamic offensive player who also did all of that defensive stuff, right? If he's a one-way player as a 6-4 power forward slash center, his ceiling for just how good he is dramatically lowers, right? But if he's a really good defensive player who also is going, you know, 13 for 14 from the field and scoring 90 points or 30 points in a game, shoot 9% from the field. Well, yeah, then all of a sudden you're talking about, to your point, a guy that's a clear all-star and an all-NBA type player and a MVP type guy. Otherwise, he's a otherwise he's a really good offensive player that, you know, like McMahon said, can have those kind of numbers and still be minus 15 in a game his team loses. Yeah, so at Duke, he averaged, he averaged 30 minutes a game in his, his one year at Duke. He averaged uh, two steals and over two blocks a game in 30 minutes a game. In, in this year, he's averaging 33 minutes a game. He averages less than one block and one steal a game. And it's actually, those have actually come up. He's gotten better defensively in the last uh, three, four weeks. So um, not quite the same playmaker. Not that, again, that if he averages two steals versus one, that it's all different. Right. I'm just saying it's, um, look, they're, um, uh, I just wrote this story this week about these uh, about this NBA top shot, which is a new digital currency. I won't get into it here, but um the one that I led the story with a guy paying a hundred thousand dollars for a highlight uh, of Zion blocking a shot in his first NBA game or one of his, like his second NBA game, his first ever block shot. And it is an incredible highlight. Zion comes over and help defense explodes off the court and swats the ball into like the fifth row. I, you know, I haven't seen it since <laughs> at least uh, defensively. Um, so it doesn't mean I haven't seen every, possession of every game but i have maybe maybe game. that's why it's worth a hundred thousand dollars it's the last <laughs> time defensive play design i don't know if it's worth a hundred thousand the guy who bought it thinks it's worth gonna be worth a million but that's another story 
You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, catch the clutch hitch, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So who's ever up there, whether it's the roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit DirecTV.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. If only starting your fitness journey was as easy as starting this podcast. The truth is, all the lift big, get big, and beach body ready in three weeks pressure stops most of us from even starting. And starting is what matters most. It's everything. Wherever you're beginning and wherever you want to be, Peloton encourages you to just start. With thousands of classes to get you moving and doing what you can, even if that's just a 10-minute low-impact class, they have those too. And when you're ready, take it up a gear with a 30-minute live DJ ride. Start with Peloton and find instructors that will keep you motivated to stay on your fitness journey. Learn the basics and build from there. Remember, doing something is everything. Get started with a Peloton bike or Bike Plus rental at onepeloton.com slash bike slash rentals. Terms apply. Before we go, I wanted to bring up um, something that happened uh, earlier this week with Draymond Green. Um, Had a win over the Cavs. By the way, they completely just wrecked them. So afterwards... After the game, Draymond comes in and just suns the entire Cavs front office for benching uh, Andre Drummond um, and saying that's a double standard when players in the league ask for trades, uh, they're vilified uh, when they don't honor their end of the contract. But when teams are done with players and they bench them or trade them or whatever, that that's seen as just good business. And he's, of course, right. But um, I thought it was an interesting time for him to make that comments. Bontemps, what did you think about what Draymond said? Well, I mean, I thought it was interesting. And to your point, I think he was right, but I would have used different examples than he used. Like, for example, the other guy this week, besides Andre Drummond, who got sat down by his team was Blake Griffin, who was, he and the, the Pistons agreed to have him take a seat while they're playing Sadiq Bay and these other young guys, and they're clearly in a rebuilding mode. And Blake uh, has been struggling and, you know, they have to try to figure out what to do with his future. And, you know, I think the best recent example of Draymond's point is that the the Clippers held a parade practically to get Blake Mm -hmm. Griffin to resign with them. And then less than, I believe less than six months later, might've been just over six months. So about six months later, they traded him to Detroit and, you know, were then lauded for trading him to Detroit for Tobias Harris and a first round. And I will, I will laud them again because oh, it for, sure, for sure. And and look like long-term, it certainly worked out, right. It allowed them to have uh, that, that pick became uh, partially became Shea Gilgis Alexander. They then ended up getting Paul George, Kawhi Leonard. Like you, you can't argue with the long-term results of the move, but if you're Blake Griffin and you had, you know, this entire procession into Staples center and you met with a thousand people and thought, you know, they gave a presentation where they talked about how he was going to be the greatest player in Clippers history. He's going to finish. They put your jersey there. up in the rafters. Right, put your jersey, all that stuff, and then trade him six months later. It's like, yeah, like that's that. I, I thought that would have been a better example of Draymond's point than the Cavs and Andre Drummond deciding that it's good for him to sit when he has not played well and that situation has been a mess. And, you know, him saying that James Harden was criticized for wanting out of Houston when really I think James Harden was criticized for – the stuff he was doing off the court, as opposed to wanting to leave a Rockets franchise that was clearly going through changes at that point. He'd spent 
nine years doing about everything he could there short of winning a title. So I, that, that was my only pushback on what Draymond said. Otherwise, I think it's clear there is a double standard where, you know, players are not always in control of their futures. And look, they're paid really well. So you can argue that's part of the deal. But, you know, like I said, that Blake Griffin situation is just a pretty good example of how, you know, it, it, teams have control over players' futures in a way that if Blake had left in free agency, uh, you know, Clipper fans would have been a lot more up in arms than they were about the prospect of him getting traded away a few months later. I mean, look, Draymond definitely made some some good points. I don't think there's any question about that. What I would argue is when an NBA team like the Cavs, like the Pistons, you know, we, we, we've seen this with other guys, when NBA teams decide that, hey, we're going to either trade this guy or we're going to have to, you know, figure out a buyout, like he's not – he we're not going to play him anymore. They don't withhold the number one thing that they've agreed to in that contract. The guys still get paid. We've seen NBA players, James Harden, Anthony Davis, franchise players decide they were done with a the franchise. They withheld the, the most important thing that they agreed to in the contract, whether it was just showing up or, you know, effort. I mean, James Harden. Which is a strategy to force a trade. It's not right, because they're bad right. people. And, and no, well, look, it's, I'm not going to sit. I mean, I thought that James Harden handled it horrifically. I thought, you know, I mean, he's apologizing for the way things went down to, to Rachel Nichols. So clearly he doesn't well, think that he, it was he handled. He got what he wanted. So, uh, right. He got what he, he wanted. Got, he got what he wanted. Anthony Davis you, got what he wanted. So I'm not going to, I'm not, you know, I don't know how to play a violin, but if I did, I wouldn't play any violin anyway. <laughs> Um, I'm more of a fiddle type of guy, but, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but my point is they withhold the number one thing that they've agreed to in a contract. And that is to either show up or in, in Harden's case, once he finally did show up to, to put forth any sort of an effort. And so, you know, I, I think that to, to say you can't criticize them for how they handled that. I don't agree with that. Now you can, and look, the criticism to me for it, for the Pistons is not, wow, you're really doing Blake wrong right now. It's like, wow, you really thought trading for Blake Griffin was, was a good idea at the time? Well, who who he, didn't see this coming? Who he didn't was great. See? He was an all-star for them, and they made the playoffs. Not just an all-star. He was an all-NBA player two years ago. I mean, he, yeah. he, he, had an, he, he was incredible in that, that season but, for Detroit. But, but when – and there was a Detroit team that was doing what with no, a I'm not, prime all-NBA type of player. That's I'm not what, I'm not disputing your logic. I just think he – to me, I feel bad for Blake in that people don't – like he's 31. Like yeah, the fact that he – Right. His, his skill development over the course of his career is truly underrated in my opinion. When you think about when he came into the league as a guy who – people thought was just going to dunk all over everybody. And that's really all he's going to do. And yeah. for him to become a good three-point shooter, an excellent passer, a, a solid defender, like he turned himself into a really skilled big guy who, like I said, on a, on a terrible Detroit team a couple of years ago, was a clear, all you know, worthy all-NBA player and dragged that team into the playoffs. Unfortunately, that seems like it's going to be the coda on you know that high level of his career because I just don't think he's going to be the same physically after this knee injury. But um, well, look, I hope Blake Griffin can land somewhere that could use a a stretch four who's a really good passer. Um, you know, as as a, a a nice, I think he can be a really nice piece off the bench for a contender in in the right situation. He's not um, done. He, no. he's, he's not done. He has he has uh, some time left in his career. He just doesn't have time 
left in his career being a franchise player making 40 million. Yeah, and look, I don't and I hope he gets all his money from the uh from the Pistons. What do, you, what do you do about this? I mean, I mean this is a this is a quagmire. Well, the 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 analog to this to me is back in 2015, uh, McMahon and I were both on on both ends of this when Darren Williams got a buyout from the Brooklyn Nets out of the final couple yeah. years of his deal and went and signed with the Dallas Mavericks. And he gave back about $16 million uh, on a contract that I think had about $47 million left on it. And he ended up getting a decent chunk of that back from Dallas right. and Cleveland over the next couple he's still, of years. He's still getting paid by the Nets. He's still on their books. I believe he's now officially off the books, I think. I, think it, I believe he came off after last season. I think it okay. was through the 2020 season because it was a stretch for five years. Okay. Um, but he, he ended up giving back a good chunk of his money. And I think if Blake is going to get bought out, you know, he's probably, I would guess, not, I could be wrong, but I would guess he's probably going to have to give it back. He's, he's going to have around 50 million owed, I think, after the trade deadline. So um, if he does get bought up before the end of the season, I would expect he's going to have to give back a decent chunk of that, um, you know, maybe five or 10 million or maybe even a little more to do so. And we'll see if he does or not. But short of him maybe being traded for another equally giant contract in the summer, whether it's John Wall or Russell Westbrook in a trade where those teams just want a lop a year of salary off their books, depending on what happens. Mm-hmm. It's hard to see this ending in any other way than, than Blake either getting waived or bought out at some point and then going to sign elsewhere. Yeah. The, the thing with Blake though, is I don't know that there's going to be a big market for him in, in, in terms of like if he's on the market this summer, what, you know, what do you think he's – I don't know. Maybe there is a, a bigger market. I think maybe somebody will step up and give him something close to the mid-level exception. I don't know. But, uh, you know, typically those buyouts are, are roughly equivalent to I'm going to make X amount somewhere else, so I'll give you back that amount. Right, and that's a that's a challenge with Drummond too because um, it's not the Dr- – you know, Drummond his, in his career has been a guy who's put up really good numbers but hasn't always led to wins for his team. Now, right. we just talked about Jordan Clarkson changing roles and, and being refined and becoming a completely different player. I'm not saying that's who Andre Drummond is, but the reason Andre Drummond is, is hard to trade is not because he's not valued. It's because nobody wants to trade $28 million worth of contracts for him at this point. Or can, because there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of big contracts around the league to chip around among the, That's right. the, the and good, even or, if or if they do have $28 million of contracts, it's $28 million of contracts that the uh, Cavaliers don't want on their books going forward. Right. And even if you had like three or four guys you could cobble together, you can't in the middle of the season trade four guys for one player. And look, if, if you're doing that to get James Harden and you're the Cavs, you're like, okay, well let's cut all these other young guys on our right. roster. We'll do whatever we can to make this deal. The Cavs aren't going to get anything really for Drummond. I mean, they only they gave a they gave a protected second round pick to get him a year ago, right? You know, well, um, and that's part of the thing too, Brian. Like, there's been a lot of talk about, you know, well, where will Andre Drummond go if he gets bought out? And like the Nets, for example, have been brought up as a team that could get him. And watching that Nets team play the Phoenix Suns on Tuesday night when they came back and won without Katie and Kyrie, they're at their best when DeAndre Jordan isn't playing and they're playing small. Are they yeah. really better off if you sign Andre Drummond, who's probably an upgrade on DeAndre Jordan, but probably not a huge upgrade at this point, given he's already lost some athleticism. He's never been as good of a defensive player as his uh, reputation would suggest. He's a guy who tends to have the ball in his hands more often than they would probably want. Like, 
Well, is, who's is that, defending Joel Embiid? That's my question. Well, Andre Drummond isn't defending Joel Embiid. Joel Embiid <laughs> no, destroys right. him every time they play him. Okay. Like he's not and then makes him. fun of him on social media. That's right. I mean, that's meaning. he's not. So that's he's not. I do the bond temps. My well, question for the Nets is who's defending Joel Embiid? Well, Joel Embiid. well, and my point is Andre Drummond is not right. So, like, you know, look, like the Toronto Raptors use him right now. Like, sure, he'd probably be an upgrade at Aaron Baines, but like, that's not. It's not like he's going to come in and dramatically change. The fortunes of any of these teams. So well, you know, a terrific, he's a terrific rebounder. Well, partially uh, of his own misses is part of why he's a terrific <laughs> rebounder. I mean, he he really has lost some athleticism. So, like, that's the thing. Like, he's again, like to your point, if he was making fourteen million dollars, you could reasonably find a trade for him probably fairly quickly because he he's a a fairly productive center who can sop up minutes for a team that needs help at the at the five. But in a league where everybody is shifting away from playing traditional centers anyway, and he's making twenty-eight or twenty-nine million dollars, like, are you? You have to figure out how to get that much money, and then you have to try to entice Cleveland to take it. And it's just, it's just a very okay, difficult then. thing to do. If slash one he gets bought out, right? That's probably what's going to end up happening. He'll be in demand. He'll have options. Yes, he'll have. There, this is a guy who it's going to be really hard to trade him, and he's going to have a lot of options uh, once he, there's a buyout if that happens. And look. I think the same for Blake, too. I think he will have right. options. The difference is Drummond's in the last year of his contract. There's really no reason not to just buy him out, right? There's, there's well, there's not. no reason. I mean, You're I not, can see why they're waiting. It's not, but, but, right, but it's not like it's not like Blake where if you, uh, you know, you're negotiating the $39 million for next season, right? right. I mean, so. It's a much cleaner I, I, move I, to your point, Tim. I do to, think. To I do think. Now. Yeah, I do think Drummond has a right to basically say, look, I played hard. You know, I've not been a problem. I've played hard. Well, like, well after the no. Jared Allen trade, he started. This is one of the things about Draymond that, you know, and I'm not yeah. expecting Draymond to have followed the whole situation. But, you know, and again, maybe this is the Cavs fault when they traded for Jared Allen. They basically sent the message that not, not right. only are you no longer going to be the center that we want to really play right now, but we don't have an interest in you going forward because we're going to pay this guy. Well, especially yeah. when he's in a contract here on top of it, right? Like yeah, I don't a, think there's the a lot of stuff there. And then they already, already had JaVale McGee, who is also in the same boat, who's, you know, wants to, he's in a contract here as well. I don't think uh, it was ter- managed terrifically by the Cavs, but he, Drummond was pouting. Okay, right? I, I am looking at his last two uh, lines. There was a minus 28, a minus 20. Well, they also yeah. tried to play him with Jared Allen, which was a disaster. Okay. I mean, it's, right. it's, it's been a been an ugly situation. Yeah, um, you know, and I, like I said, I don't think it's necessarily, like, I understand why Drummond is not thrilled, but um, making him the victim mm, might have been a little bit of a push. <sighs> I did like the the farewell hoodie. <laughs> yes, that was that was that was good. And Woj and I had that story, and um, and it had been agreed to that day. We just had to kind of confirm it by the next day. So, he, I just when he packed for the trip because it was a five game, right? I think it was a five game trip, four or five game trip. Uh, did you, did you just so happen to have a a, a, a and it was an outfit the the the, the top matched the pants. Um, did he just happen to have that in his collection? Because, you know, the man is seven foot something. You don't just go out and get that at the store. You're not even allowed to leave your hotel room right now. So how did he, because it was agreed to that. How did he know? Did they sell those at Target? <laughs> Target? Maybe he uh, sold it himself. Maybe he's got a hobby. Yeah. Um, got plenty of time on his hands these days. <laughs> 
It was L.A. Who knows? Maybe he uh, maybe he called his friend Anthony Davis, and Anthony Davis had that from his his wardrobe and um yeah it's like well and, i, I and, had and this but i went with that's all folks because it was a little yeah. hot in new orleans at the time <laughs> <laughs> all right thank you most of the hoop collective podcast thank you to mcmahon thank you to bot temps thank you to troy farkas our producer appreciate it we'll talk to you guys next week have a good weekend everybody stay warm adios amigos And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply.